Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vit Muller. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Success Inspired Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about business, how to scale business, how to start and grow your business, and how to achieve financial freedom. Today, with me, my guest is a serial entrepreneur and an experienced business optimization coach that has been building businesses from scratch for the last 25 years across three countries. He started his first business at age 23 with only $800 in his father's shit and created a $12 million company in under five years. He was awarded the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award at age 25, then he lost his entire first business. He took these painful lessons and built an international distribution company valued at $3.5 million in under three years. He created a revolutionary virtual business training system that has adapted to the veterinary industry and sold it to a public listed company on the Australian Stock Exchange after 14 months. He is two times number one Amazon best-selling business author. He has also been a successful business coach and mentor for the past 12 years and was chosen over several hundred other business coaches and speakers present his smart business coaching system live on stage with Sir Richard Branson at the 21st Century Financial Summit. He specializes in helping traditional everyday business owners build a smart business engine to optimize and create value in your business, stop trading time for money, and outsmart today's competition. So please welcome to the show, Luke Futuros. Thanks, Vet. Thanks for having me here. It's great to be here. Great to have you on the show, Luke. Great to have you on the show. The story is impressive, and I'm very excited to, to have you on the show with us today. Tell me, what inspired you to uh, start your first business? I'm actually an engineer, and I studied engineering at university, and after three months of working for someone else, I just realized this is, this is not for me. Boss telling me what to do. I'm working really hard, but I'm getting the same paycheck every month and every idea, all my creativity is, is just swept aside. And I just said, no ways, I just, there's a life ahead of me. There's no chance. I am not, I'm not dealing with the boss. I, I need to go and create my own financial destiny. And so with 800 bucks, my partner, my friend from university, my father gave us his shed as our first office and we tried to sell software programs to the world, which was an absolute disaster, <laughs> but it was our first attempt. <laughs> what was the software about? So we thought we were engineers, so we did coding at university. We thought, well, we, we can come up with solutions of how to help businesses be more efficient and improve efficiencies and the world's just going to love this because we are so marvelous. And of course, we went out there, we took my 800 bucks, which we used to go to our first trade show and we tried to sell all our stuff. And of course, nothing happened. No one was interested. What do you think went wrong? Well, this is pretty much what we're going to talk about today. There's seven sequential steps of how to build businesses that I've used subsequently to that business. I do do some things right in that first business, but I did a lot of things wrong. And what I learned was, to, to summarize that business very quickly, 
after paying all the trying and everything we did for 14 months of, we really were getting nowhere but killing ourselves working. We finally made a breakthrough. I did my first joint venture. I learned what I call the shift and sift method. That became a $12 million business in five years. And that's very, very, we thought was very, very successful for two young kids having that much money. But then I got wiped out. We got wiped out and we, in the worst possible way, we lost absolutely everything. I'm talking lawsuits, sheriffs, locking up shops. Well, it wasn't very pleasant, but that was a journey and young kids tell a learn. And so what I want to talk to about today on your show is, well, what went wrong and what did I learn? And there's seven steps, but before I get to the seven steps, there's three critical lessons that I learned after getting wiped out, reflecting, took seven years to come back, regain confidence and try again, which I knew I wanted to try again. The first one is the sequencing. You have to put things in the right place and then the magic happens. You can't put things before and other things because you're going to land up in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to be sharing with you the seven steps of how you build a business. Or if, from an idea or if you've got a business that's struggling and you can't get going. The second thing I learned was you got to stop trading time for money and you need an unlimited earning structure. Now, I didn't know what any of that meant in my first business. And there was understanding how money flows, understanding leverage. And to give you an example, it, it, the, the third piece, which it, is the difference between being a business owner and being self-employed. And again, in that stage, I had no idea what that meant. But here's a reflection of how important this is. So my first business, I had 65 staff. It was a $12 million business and we'd been going for five years. Now, anyone looking in would say, wow, that's impressive. But it's actually not. It had zero value, that business, because my partner and I were the engines in that business. We were killing ourselves trying to keep it all together. That's not a successful business. My second business, which was a distribution, international distribution business that I built from scratch, was just me in my office with a laptop. But I managed to supply five countries around the world. I had factories in three countries. And I was just coordinating. And I, this is what I call joint venturing. I learned to leverage. So just me with a laptop, I was managing this whole operation. That's got value. So it didn't have 12 million turnover. It was less than $2 million turnover business. But it was valued $3.5 million in under three years. And that's the valuable lesson I learned. It's not about vanity and how many staff you got and how much turnover you got and how long you've been in business. It's how smart you are in structuring your business. And so to tie this all together, how do you get to this point of my second business and not do all the mistakes of my first business? I'll start with point one. And point one or step one is optimizing your mindset. So what a lot of people do in business, there's actually two things, right? There's all the business strategy, sales, marketing, negotiation, structure, blah, blah, business strategy. And then there's there's you and you, and you have a personal image. You have a personal branding, what I call it. And here's the thing. Customers buy from you first before they buy your product and services. So it's really important that you think about 
your personal branding, which goes back to your mindset. Every single one of us has self-sabotaging traits, self-limiting beliefs. Every single one of us does. And so what you've got to work on, and I had to work on very, very hard on this after I learned how, what a disaster I personally was my personal brand when my first business, so much ego, so much money, thinking I know everything, no one could tell me anything. And ultimately that terrible self-sabotaging self pattern, my ego was what destroyed my first business. So that was a huge wound to, to, to lick. And so the lesson for this and optimizing your, your mindset for success is you need to become or present your image of what you want your customers to love. Your customers will love something from you. If your customers see your personal branding as something they don't like, they don't trust, there's something about you that they just don't like, you're not going to make any sales. It doesn't matter how good your product and services. If your customers don't trust you, they're going to go somewhere else where they feel more comfortable. So that is release the ego, all the anchors. That's what I had to do. That's step number one. Very, very important. Step number two is optimizing your niche. And I call this following the cash. And here's a common mistake most people do, which was my first business. Uh, we, myself and Gary, my first partner, we had this magic idea. We we're going to sell it to the world. Everyone's going to love it. Of course, they didn't. So the common mistake is people take their product and services and they try and sell it to the wrong person, the wrong people. So if you have, if you have meat, you, you're never going to sell it to a vegetarian. It doesn't matter how fancy the cows can be blessed by the Pope. You can negotiate. You can put energy and effort into trying to sell meat, but you're never going to sell it to a vegetarian. They're just not your right customers. And what you want to do is you want to find out who are your real customers? Who wants to buy from you the quickest and the easiest? And this is where I think a lot of marketing companies, marketing experts get things wrong. The first thing they say to you is, who is your ideal customer? And then they say, write an avatar and you've got a profile. So standard form that every marketing book gives you, right? That's not where the money is. I'm going to give you a, a good example in a sec. You want to find out who are your real customers. Your real customers are the customers who give you the money the quickest and the easiest. And that's where you want to target all your marketing, which we're coming to. So the first part, optimizing your niche, is finding out who really wants to give you the money the quickest and easiest. Those are your real customers. So let me give you an example. In my first business, we started selling software. As I said, try to do personalized software. No one wanted to buy it. It wasn't a lucrative niche and we had the wrong products. And as we were peddling around and asking, knocking doors and trade shows and all these things, people would say, look, you guys are nice. You're trying hard, but we really don't want your stuff. However, do you guys sell computer hardware? Now, we didn't at the time. And this is what I call is following where the money is naturally flowing. People didn't want our stuff. And what I started to realize was, why don't we start selling computer hardware? These people are just asking for it. We're not even trying to sell it. So this is what you call the shift and sift process. So we took what we were desperately trying to sell to the market. And we shifted to where the money was naturally flowing. And we changed our whole business. We started selling computer hardware and forgot about the software. And eventually what happened 
was we started selling more and more of the stuff. And this is what we call the lucrative niche. And the real customers were the people giving us the cash. Deal customers, when we started, would have been corporate IT managers who wanted to buy software to improve their lives, improve efficiencies, blah, blah. But they didn't buy one thing. Our real customers were buying hardware. Make sense? This is what I call the most lucrative niches where the money is naturally flowing. So step number three is optimizing yourselves. So you've worked out your first step, which is your niche, the red on niche. Who wants to buy from you the quickest and the easiest? The next thing you want to work out is what do you want? What do you, can you sell these people that they will buy the quickest and the easiest as opposed to just selling what you want to sell? And in 25 years that I've been building businesses across the world, I've been on just about every sales course you can think of, books, et cetera. And I believe most of these books, in fact, I've never read them. I think there's two secrets to selling. And the first one is, and sell. Let your customers buy. And the second one is, what is that one thing that when you go to buy something, before you even think about purchasing, you are subconsciously searching all the time for that one thing. That one thing is trust. If you don't trust the salesperson or the process, whatever you're doing, you're not going to buy that product. That's just the way we are. So for me, the secret of selling is these two things. Don't sell. Let your customers buy and establish trust. So look, how do you build trust? Well, there's two ways. And the first one is your personal branding. It's all about your image and your perception of what you project. Customers buy from your image, not from you. Okay. So personal branding is very important for establishing trust. That's why you have to work on in step one. The next thing is what we call a hook product. And the purpose of your hook product is to allow your customers to experience your value with the least amount of risk. So if we circle back to the image, just for some of our listeners that might be you know, curious what you mean by that, what do we talk about here? Is it, you know, how, how your hair looks or how, how, you, how you're dressed or what are we talking about here? Most common things are absolutely. If you are a professional person, how do you show up? Are you on time? How do you present yourself? Are you allowing the customer to articulate their side of the story or your rampant salesperson just snowballs someone and rolls over them where they are absolutely flawed? So a lot of people don't like that. And so they will make any excuse to crawl out of the sale and run to somewhere else. Being punctual, following up. If you say you're going to be doing something, like bring a sample to them or show them something or whatever, and you don't do it, you violate their trust. So there's like 32 point checkpoints that you go through for your personal branding to make sure that you can present the best possible image to your customer to be the most successful in sales. These are things they are subconsciously looking for in you to establish trust that they will therefore move to the buying phase. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if it's in-person sales with face-to-face, -face, you've got a lot more influence. You've got a lot more that you can, you can do, right? You've got tonality. They can see you. They, you, know, you can dress better and all those things that you're mentioning. 
What about sales over the phone for, you know, businesses that, you know, generate leads through Facebook and, and then, you know, follow up their sales process is all based on SMS, email and, and phone calls. There's no opportunity to see them. So that's a really good question. You can say the phone and you can also say internet because in your business, you've got a website that represents you. And this is what a lot of people don't understand about internet marketing, why they don't make money. Same as the phone call. I'll refer to the website first because it's probably more relevant to today's world, the internet marketing, but it applies to the phone as well. So when people go onto your website or your Facebook page or your Instagram page, you have created a personal brand, whether you like it or not. And it's, it's the tone, the topics, the content, how you respond to people's questions. Do you, are you engaged politely? Are you rude, abrasive? And how you set your website up, there's actually 12 points too, checkpoints on how you set your website up to make sure when someone goes to your website, you've got like 30 seconds to establish their trust and hook them in. And it's the same on the phone. If you do certain things on the phone, like keep interrupting a person and a simple thing, like if you put down the phone first before that person, if you're trying to sell those those are subconscious triggers that you just there for the kill, not to build rapport and trust. There's, there's a whole lot of mechanisms that you need to do for the exact same outcome you're talking about. So for somebody that's about to build a website, what would be some, some of those things to really watch for to avoid? Well, the biggest thing you can do is have social proof. So how do, if someone else has bought your stuff and they see, you know, raving reviews about your stuff, that is a good indication that they can trust you because if other people are buying from you and saying good things, I, I'm okay to try that. So social proof is one. Another one is your story. The essence to marketing is a story. And again, this has all got to be true stuff. You can't make that up. But if you've got a great story, you know, if you're selling something, you've got a great story about maybe your grandmother was involved and it's a family recipe or something like that, that's an emotional buy-in. And that helps instill trust in you. The other one you could do is case studies. So different to testimonies, you can do case studies. And... You can interview people who have done great things because of your service or your product. That's all techniques for establishing trust. The other one you can use is become an authority. Authority means you actually give a lot of content out to help your viewers or your listeners or your, your audience. So, you know, if you're a plumber and you give out great tips on how to save water and how to the water the garden or whatever it is, you're actually building, you're giving value out to them. And that allows them to say, you know, this guy's really, really good, or this lady's really, really good. And that helps establish trust as opposed to buy this, buy this, buy this, which is when a lot of people on the phone, you know, brace of phone calls, internet marketers slam you. They don't take the time to build trust and rapport through value. They're just trying to get sales, sales, sales. It doesn't work. I love it. I love it. People buy from people who they know, like, and trust, right? 
So yeah. in summary, for those guys listening, for your website, make sure you got some, some social proof, some testimonials, whether written or videos, ideally videos, right? That they're generally more effective. People like to do videos, search engines like videos today. Yep. Second thing, have a great story. We'd be referring to as a, maybe like an about section of the page, the about page, right? Where you can maybe place that. Yeah, you should, you should have it throughout your marketing, but yes, in the about section, you should have a well-crafted story, mm-hmm. but you want to reinforce that through your messaging throughout all your communication. Have a, some section with your case studies and then focus on becoming an authority, a, a genuine authority with, with, with great content, providing lots of value, expecting nothing in return. So these be good little checklist there that we should probably put in the show notes for, for you guys listening. What else would else be uh, good to, to think about for somebody who is trying to improve how people perceive them on the marketplace, how, how they can build more trust with the potential customers? So look, the thing is, everything today is about establishing yourself as an authority. What does that really mean? It doesn't mean you have to be Bill Gates. It means that you just have to give great quality. And of course, if you talk from your stance, as opposed to what a lot of people do today, just grab textbooks and copy from everyone else. If you really want to stand out and market yourself and earn trust, then you stand your ground with your opinions. Okay. And then back it up with substance. You know, why do you believe in this? What are your views on that? Why do you support this? This is the reason I support this product or this service. This is why the way I do things. As opposed to just everyone copying everything from everyone else, make a stance. What is your views? What is your opinions? And stand by that. And, you know, the thing is, if you want to become an authority, is give great content. Tell people how to solve the, solve the problems that you're, you're in the niche. The more quality content you give, the higher they perceive you as an authority. The second thing is your hook product. Your hook product is critical for establishing trust that people, you want to let people or customers experience your value with the least amount of risk. This is how you build trust. Here's, here's two great examples. Let's say you have uh, a supermarket and you've got a lady selling pies here and you've got a supermarket across the road and another lady selling pies. The one lady selling pies. She's handing out brochures in the, in the supermarket and she's telling everybody how marvelous her pies are. Come and buy my pies. Look, the brochure tells you everything. In the supermarket across the road, there's a lady with a little oven and she's baking the pies and the smell's coming out and people are queuing up and she's cutting up the pies and she's giving people samples. So out of those two, who do you think is going to sell more pies? Absolutely, the second lady. Right. So the lady who's, who's giving the value, the hook product, she's allowing customers to experience her beautiful pies, taste them. Do you like it? And then they say yes, and then they buy the pies. In the other example, the first one, the lady is selling. Buy my pies. Look, the brochure says so. Buy the pies. How the hell do I know the pie's good? Your brochure says so. It must be good. So this is the difference between don't sell, let your customers buy. I love it. So the next step is optimizing 
your marketing. So just to recap, we've worked out who your niche is, the customers who want to buy from you the quickest. We then worked out what products do they want to buy the quickest and the easiest. And Vic, this is the key of why so many people struggle with marketing. You can't start to market unless you know who you're talking to, who wants to buy your stuff, or who you think wants to buy your stuff, and what do they really want to buy, not what you think. When you get those two right, that is when you take your marketing to market, not before. Otherwise, what are you marketing? Mm. You're marketing a mess. You're marketing Wishful thinking. air and dust and chaos, which is why people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads and campaigns and they build websites and all these things and nothing happens. Unless, what about the cases people sometimes hear like, how about you don't try and go for perfection. You just go out there with the idea that you've got, just trying to offer it as it is so that you can, you can test out the concept. What, what do you think about that idea? Well, I think the first thing you should do is what I always do is go and research. So what is, what is your idea? I know you think it's marvelous, but let's see if the world actually cares. So go out and research, go and see who do you think your real customer is, your ideal customer. Go and test, go and spend two weeks with the clipboard. This is what I did in my second distribution business in supermarkets and in asking people about ink cartridges before I launched the concept. Ask them. There's, there's actually a formula I use. There's three things I use. Number one, what is your deepest pains or frustrations and pains with your problem? Whatever the problem, you want to give up smoking, you want to lose weight, you want to buy the best car or the best bicycle, whatever it is, they have a certain starting point. Then they have a, the next thing, which is their desired outcome. So what is their most des powerful desired outcome of whatever they're trying to do? And where are they right now? And if you research those two things, then your solution should be the bridge or the guide or the conduit between those two. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend you don't just go out there and spend money like most people do and go bankrupt. Do this basic research. Because when you launch a business, even with this research, you, you're going to call what I call the shift and sift method. You, you, you've got to work towards where is that cash really flowing? So that's what I recommend. I mean, I, of course, give it to your best entrepreneurs. No one knows whatever's going on, like the, the outcome, but you can be quite smart in the way you go to market. Safer, less risky. Now, obviously, definitely a great idea. So you do your research and then go out to the market. Would you then recommend that whatever this, whether it's a service or product that you're trying to sell, that it needs to be at like perfection or just good enough and start with that? Definitely not perfection. I mean, what is perfection? Perfection never ends. So no, you want to do your research and you want to get going. Like you want to get going as quickly as possible. When you're an entrepreneur with limited resource and cash flow, which is most of little businesses out there, you want to get results quick. So sitting behind a desk and drawing the perfect plan, there's no such thing as a perfect plan. The trouble with perfection is perfection never ends because when is it perfect? It's never perfect. So no, you want to do research as best as you can. You want to follow the sequence. If you can learn the steps of how to go to market to build a business, just go and do it. But as long as you're following a, like a structure and a sequence, you're going to be okay. You eventually follow and find where the money's flowing. Mm -hmm. So, so go out there, start selling straight away. 
once you've done your research. Because you need to be profitable soon, right? Like you said, if you're starting out from scratch, if you're bootstrapping it, you, you, do, you do need to start making money. Of course, you're, you you want to make money as soon as possible. And this is what I'm saying. You can't just go and launch a marketing campaign mm. and spend your budget, particularly if, you, you know, if you've got limited budget. You need to understand these first few steps. I'm telling you, this will save you a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of heartache. Hundred percent. So, what do we have next? What's the next step? So, the next step, as I said, was now we know who we're talking to, what product we're selling. Now we can go to market. But and this is a common mistake most people make: when you try and talk to everyone, you connect to no one. So you've got to work out your resonating message. Okay, and this is this is probably one of the hardest things in business to do is actually find out what is your resonating message that connects with your particular niche. So let me give you an example, how important this is. In my first business, when we, when we worked out, look, the money is naturally flowing in this very lucrative niche of computers, selling computers, but selling computers is very, very broad. You can have a IT manager of a corporate, you can have a small business, you can have gamers, you can have families. You're selling the same product, but you see the different niches. So selling to a family environment, you want something for kids and mom and dad, compared to an IT manager who's running an IT division, two completely different resonating messages. So if you're trying to sell to all these people, you're going to connect with none of them. And again, this was a huge lesson I learned about marketing. So eventually we, we found out, look, the families are buying our concept, our products. Everything we did in our business was geared towards targeting family. So the whole logo became Atomic Computers, your family computer store, seven days a week. And seven days a week was a huge trigger point because competition wasn't opening. So these are what you call your resonating messages that, that appeal to those, those deepest pains of what they were, my families were concerned about. They wanted to come on shop on the weekends. That's when they wanted to shop. But competition was not doing that. Their deepest desires, most powerful desires was that, that they could take home a computer system and just go and plug it in. This was the early 90s, so plug and play didn't exist, right? And they were talking to geeks and techno guys who just freaked them out mm. and intimidated them. And therefore, should I go back to personal branding? They, they just felt this is not right. They don't understand. They, in those days, in the 1990s, buying a computer was a big investment. So they were not keen to ha hand over a large sum of money to some guy. They would just freak their brains out. This is what you call personal branding. What I did in my stores was I had desks with coffee tables. So I, had the, I was the first one in, in South Africa to put an internet cafe in my first superstore. And my setup was all my stuff was on display because none of my competition had that. They were all selling and converted houses. And so what I said to my salespeople, you're not allowed to talk in geek terms because these people don't get it. They want you to talk to them about the outcomes. What do they really want from this computer system? They want to go home and be at peace that they bought the right solution for their family, not buy something they can launch to Saturn and freak their brain out. And so that simple thing is what you call 
your resonating message, the whole deal of your business connects around that message, resonating message that what do your customers really want from you that makes them feel comfortable and they connect with you. And so the final piece in the marketing is you need to create an X factor, which is the same thing as your resonating message. You've got to find out why do customers want to come and buy from your business and not from everyone else? Now, how do you do that? Well, like I mentioned earlier, there's three steps. The first step is you need to find out what is the, what is the deepest pains that they're experiencing. Second thing is, what is their most powerful desires? What, are they, what is the outcome they want from buying your product or service? And the third thing is, and this is very important, what are competition doing wrong to not provide that solution? And that gap is what you create your X factor from. Okay, so the next step now is optimizing your efficiency and your quality of life. So I want you to, there's one thing that's really important to remember. The real money is not in your products and services. The real money in your business is made is in your ability to leverage your time, your energy, and resource to sell your products and services. This was the, one of the biggest lessons I learned in my life. And so the more inefficient you are in your business, the less time you will have. Okay, so how do you become efficient? Well, there's four ways that I've learned over my journeys. Number one is stop trading time for money. The second one is create an unlimited earning structure. The third one is you want to learn to systemize, put in processes and create workflows. You want to get your engine working for you. So. In my first business, myself and my partner were killing ourselves, killing ourselves every single day to make profits because we thought the more profits we're going to make, the richer we're going to get. But that's what happened was we burnt out. So coming up in step seven is create wealth in your business. Step four is joint ventures. Learn to use joint ventures to leverage and grow your business independently of you. Now, I have some joint venture examples. I don't know if you want got questions or you've got time. Uh, you just let me know a bit what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important to understand what a joint venture is in the first place as well. Uh, maybe we can just define that a little bit for for uh, some of our listeners that may not have come across it or haven't really delved into developing any joint ventures. So I think it would be good, yeah, just to, to expand a little bit on that and then maybe some good good examples of where People can start will be like a good example of a joint venture for, for example, let's pick a, an electrician and, and how, how best to manage a joint venture like that. I'll tell you uh, one example and I'll actually give you a real life example of a plumber and Love electricians. Mm -hmm. So in my second business, when I started my second business, what I learned from my first businesses was why I burnt out, why I lost everything was because I was trying to run everything, control everything was just a disaster. In my second business, I had this idea of selling ink cartridges. And because I worked in retail, people were trying to buy ink cartridges and they kept getting confused with all the crazy numbers. The and Canon, the printer models were confusing. And as a salesperson on the floor, they would get moaned at by the customers. And 
they, they would say, you bought the wrong thing. And the salesperson said, but you bought that and you sold it to me, blah, blah. So this whole thing was crazy. So I came up with the idea of putting pictures on ink cartridges. So you just remember a tennis racket for Canon, a parrot for HP, a strawberry, whatever. So every single cartridge had a picture. You just remember the picture. You went and you picked up the strawberry and you went home. But that was an idea. And I knew to launch this thing, I needed distributors, I needed stock, I needed factories, salespeople, or it was like crazy. So traditionally what people would do to do this was they would put together a warehouse, they would employ staff, get forklifts, they'd have to get salespeople to go and do the selling themselves, they'd have to have relationships with all the major chains. You can't just walk into a major chain and sell something. So these were all massive hurdles. Next on the supplier side was well, how do I get all this stuff manufactured in China? Because I don't know, I've never done this before. So joint ventures is this. Instead of me trying to do this all themselves, you tap into something that's already out there that's working. Okay, so here's what I did. I contacted an agent in Hong Kong and I did a joint venture with him. He went to the factories, which he already had existing relationships with. And I said, I need these things. And this is my design. And he said, okay, we do a deal. I will take X commission of this whole operation if I go and do this. So I said, fine, go and do it. So in three months, I had factories set up. On the other side, I went to distributors who already had warehouses, sales staff, merchandising staff, and most importantly, key contacts with all the major retailers. They've spent years and millions setting all that up. So I went to present my concept to these distribu distributors. I had to have trial runs in certain stores. They had to test my product was okay. It was a long, laborious process in the scope of things. But I did joint ventures with both sides, and that's how I built my business. So when when things started to go and the big chains started ordering through my, through my distributors. Of course, there were joint ventures in place. They obviously clipped the tickets either side of my business. That didn't bother me because it was just me. I had no overheads and no risk. And so that's how I built my business through joint ventures. They, they had all the infrastructure and I just tapped into it. That's how I built that business. That's an example of how you become highly efficient and I had lots of time. And again, that's what you call quality of life. The business is doing all the work. The joint venture partners are doing all the work. I'm just managing the flow. I love it. I love it. And obviously, you're talking about a, a large scale, um, like a, there's, a, there's a big volume of sales. So you don't mind if, even if your percentage, even if your cut is really small, because obviously you share it, but you got nothing to do. Like it's, it's, it's all delegated. It's all done. Right. So it's a great idea. Now, can you just clarify? So... Just so I understand it. So selling, you weren't selling the actual ink cartridges. You were just selling something that were placed, that was placed on the cartridges to help the buyers to recognize what they're after, like putting an image on it. No, I was actually selling the ink cartridges. And then I, then I launched the toner range and then I lost, launched the paper range. So it was actually ink cartridges. They call it generics. Like I guess, you know, in the automotive industry, you get parts. So that's what, the factories were set up. So we had to have samples sent over, test them on the printers, make sure the print was okay. Mm -hmm. And so we were selling the cartridges. So I had containers going to five countries 
from my factories and I was coordinating from an office in New Zealand, yeah, home right. office. So like, for example, if you've got a, a Canon printer scanner, you can buy original Canon cartridges, you would have something that third fits, party. fits yeah. into, okay, like a third party. Yeah. Okay, cool. They call them compatibles. Yeah. Correct. That was the concept. Mm-hmm. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. So you asked about a case study or joint venture example of, of an electrician. So electrician, let me give you an example of one of my clients, Steve, the plumber. It's actually on my website. He's got an interview there. You can see it. And actually one of the free training you can see there. He was a plumber trading time for money. And I said to him, Steve, do you know how much money you're leaving on the table? Let me explain this concept of joint ventures to you. I said, Steve, when you go to someone's house, they trust you. That's why they use you as a plumber. So when you're there, you ask Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Smith, your pool is green. Your car is broken. Your grass needs a cut. Your pool's fence is broken. The roof needs repairs. And you need an electrician. Did you say your TV, you needed someone to put up your new brand new TV? Whatever that is. I said, so Steve, you are in the trade industry. You've got connections with all these people. You're on building sites. You know, you know, electricians, tradies, plasters, chippies, everyone. You do joint ventures with all these people that do a good job. And you refer them to your customers. And when you do, you clip the ticket. So he started going to a job instead of just doing the plumbing. He would book an electrician, a car mechanic, pool repair person, get the grass cut, paint the house, book them in for Mrs. Smith. And when those tradespeople went to the house, he would earn a reoccurring commission for every job they did. That's a joint venture. That's how you earn passive reoccurring income. He didn't do any extra work. He's already at the job. He just phones Bob and says, look, Mr. Smith needs three new plugs or the dog needs a wash or the car's broken or whatever. He phones his network, books the appointment and done. He gets clips the ticket. That's joint ventures. That's smart business. 100%. It's leveraging all your time as well. Exactly. Right. So the next step, two steps to go. Step six is optimizing your team. So what a lot of people do with, when they have teams and when you start getting bigger teams, if you don't have structure, if you don't have step five in place, which is your workflow processes and systems, a lot of staff just run around overlapping each other. They're not clearly delegated. And that's when you get a lot of inefficient, grumpy staff, grumpy managers, because the whole business is completely inefficient. And your business is only as strong as the weakest link. So. Managing staff, motivating staff, you know, getting staff to perform at the optimum levels is a challenge. Everyone who has staff knows. So I have got eight points for you, for your audience. How do you optimize a team? The first one is allow staff to contribute to the bigger picture. So don't just tell them there's a task, do it. Tell them. Tell them the consequence of doing a good job if they do this. How does this contribute to the bigger picture of this company? Get them involved in the future pacing of the business so they feel like they're actually contributing to something bigger as opposed to like tidying pencils on desk. The second thing is structure first, staff second. So what a lot of people do is they have all these staff and then they say, okay, well, Betty's really good at that. We should 
put it here or Bob's good at this, we'll put him here. And they build the structure around the staff. You, want, you don't want to do that. You want to build structure first. You want to sit down and work out how can this business work at an optimum with no names attached. So you remove all the personalities and names out the business and you design your structure first of how this business will work optimally if I put all these pieces and these tasks. Then you take your staff and plug them into the structure, not the other way around. The third thing is don't be held to ransom. So many leaders, bosses, owners of business are petrified of one person in, in staff or two members of staff. They believe are key members and they demand this, demand that, and the whole company bends and waves to the poison ivy. Don't do that. Don't be held to ransom. If you have a proper structure with clear responsibilities, you can easily replace the poison ivy. The next thing forth is chain of command. You have to have a chain of command and you cannot violate the chain of command. Otherwise, staff don't know who to go to and who to take instructions from. And that's why often nothing happens and there's domestics and politics going on. Number five is no gray areas. Gray areas breeds all sorts of things. Not my job, didn't know, didn't understand inefficiencies. It's black and white and that's how it is. Okay, so eliminate any gray areas. Next, number six is monkey see, monkey do. You are a leader in the business, act like one. You can't have pets and favorites. You can't undermine your chain of command. You can't give some staff certain favors and others can, you know, if they go to the manager and they don't like what the manager says, they come to you and you override your manager. What is that telling your staff? You have no respect for your managers and you're favoring pets. That leads to a terrible dynamic uh, culture, a non-dynamic culture. So absolutely monkey see, monkey do. Number seven is have the right incentives. So a lot of people just say, well, we'll give money, but not every staff member is motivated by money. Your salespeople generally are and should be motivated by making money. That's why they choose the sales part. But your administrative staff, your non-sales staff, often are not motivated by sales targets and financial rewards. What some of the best things I've done, I've done things like movie tickets, liquor vouchers, weekends away Again, separate into older people, married people versus younger kids. The younger kids like petrol vouchers, music vouchers, liquor vouchers. The older, more mature audiences are married like their groceries being paid for, a weekend away with their husband or wife, things like that. Those are really good incentives for certain members of staff supposed to use a $100 cash bonus. I found that works very well. And the last one, I think the most important one is attitude beats skills and trophies and awards and this is where i think employment agencies really suck like all they do is they have this checklist and they say tick 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 oh yeah this person's got all their skills this person's got all their skills they don't actually consider the person's attitude and you can't attitude is something you you can't buy attitude is something you find and it's better to have someone with a great attitude who's willing to learn than someone who's maybe an expert in something but's got a bad attitude and has got all the trophies, but they just unlock me in that business and they destroy your culture 
The rest of the team hate them, but you have to deal with this because they've been ticked off as an, an expert. So attitude beats skills. I love it. I love it. This is an amazing checklist, uh, Luke, and I'm already thinking about my past experiences of, of you know, some of the, <laughs> some of the places that I've worked and I can already see this, you know, some of these, some of these areas there being not so great. So in summary, for those guys listening, number one, have a staff involved in the progress so that they feel like they participate. They're not just there, you know, doing day to day and not really being recognized for their work. It's nothing worse. It's, it's so it's 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 a great a greatest like it's the quickest way to make somebody feel really bored at work but not not making them involved in the progress and just expecting them to just stay in their in their in their queue in their aisle number two design systems first staff second so implement good systems and uh, and design your you know how you want the business to be get your structure out first your the structure st- the structure is the good yeah. word there love it that's the key word there number three don't be held ransom number four chain of command that one's so important i've had so many experiences in the past where the chain of command wasn't there and it definitely doesn't work have no gray areas again having clarity with what everybody needs to be done what's their key responsibilities and their job description and the day-to-day tasks right having that clar- clarified and um, that's how you avoid any gray areas monkey see monkey do absolutely you gotta lead by example lead like a leader have no favorites great point there have right the right incentives i really like that one you know the the, the movie tickets and the petrol uh, vouchers or groceries all of these it's almost like going back to marketing it's like you know because i mean we could in, in a way it's a it's a marketing right providing the right type of service the right type of individual so in this case it's your employees but still same thing you're trying to sell them something you're trying to sell them the the feeling of being recognized right and so it's a thoughtful gift i, I really like that the week in a way for husband and wife that's that would be something that i would definitely love at, at the current state i'm, I'm married <laughs> and number eight attitude beats awards and skills 100 percent. like you said you can't just uh, uh rely on or oh, what's the right way to put it yeah, you can't just try and uh, check all the boxes and 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 then hire and expect that to be the right fit just based on that, right? Well, this is what all employment agencies do. It's because they have got a checklist and they isolate anyone because they're too lazy to interview and they're too busy and there's too many, see whatever the story is, but they should have an attitude profiling something because the best employees are not the ones with the best skills and trophies. It's the ones with the best attitude to stay late, to help you on weekends. When there's a crisis, they are there for you, not someone with all the trophies rolls out the door at 4.30, whatever. That that's, that doesn't work. Mm, absolutely. This is amazing. Now, I believe we've covered all seven points. Am I right? We've got the last one, which step seven, which is optimize your business value. This is the last piece. Yeah. I'm going to have to get you to give me those points so I can write them in a summary in the show notes. Uh, I'm sort of losing track myself a little bit. I'll give them to you in a sec if you want. Maybe um, we can do a little summary at the end. Yeah, I'll do that for you. <laughs> no problem. So look, the last piece to close is optimize your business value. And this 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 was the biggest lesson I learned. Um, in my first business, as I've, as I've talked about, my partner and I worked like, we worked really hard, but we worked we were not working very smart. And what most people do when they get out of bed and go and build their businesses, they're working to get through the day and pay the bills. 
They're working for profits. And that's the wrong mindset to have. This was the mindset I had in my first business. I didn't know anything else. I just thought if we kill ourselves and make profits, that's how we're going to get rich. It mm. doesn't work. You've got to kill yourself, which we did. We burnt out. What you've got to do is you've got to learn to get your business working for you. This is why you should be getting out of bed. You should be thinking about, I'm not just going to, to, to sell things today. I'm going to work to create a valuable asset to set me up for life. That requires the seven steps I've just told you. So you're going to work and not selling products, which most people think they make the profit, pay the bills. Oh, we got some money. It's going to buy a new car. That's the mindset I had. That's the mindset that probably over 90% of business owners have. They're actually not business and they're called self-employed people. And I, like I say, I learned this through a $12 million lesson. So everything I do now, every business I coach, every person I work with, is I put them through these seven steps. And what we do is we build, we start to build a, val a valuable asset. We start to build an engine that does the work for them so that after two, three years of working in the business properly, the engine eventually kicks over and starts to turn and work. Because if you're still working like an animal in your business after three, four years, your structure is wrong. You're doing things wrong because there's three phases, right? The first one is you've got to prove your concept. You have to. That means you're working really, really hard. You're trying to find those seven steps. Who's your niece? What do they want to buy? You know, do they love my stuff? What you've got to tweak, tweak, you've got to shift and so that's proving your concept. And whatever you're professing, your service, is it actually getting results for your customer? Okay. So are they loving it and giving you good reviews? That's proving your concept. And that's generally two years, right? Then you move on to okay, things are working. Then you move into a management level where you're starting to get staff and you're starting to put systems and bits and pieces. Maybe that's another two years. But then you should be moving into where you own this thing. And there's the engine, all these seven steps I've talked about, they all come together. That's the goal. That's what you should be doing in your business. That's a different mindset to, to, to someone rocking up and just trying to make some cash. You should be working on this bottom layer, which is creating wealth as well as profit. So you want to actually be preparing your exit strategy now. In other words, you're creating a valuable asset to set you up for life because you ask anyone who's made big money in business, generally they made it when they're sold. So I, I learned this. I lost my first business, but when I sold my second business, that pretty much set me up for life. I moved from New Zealand to the Gold Coast and that was it. I was thinking, well, what do I do now? And that's when I got into business coaching and I've done this process sev several times since. But what I know is when, if whenever I start a business, the, this is the methodology that I use. Every business I teach and work with, we go through the seven steps. Is this applicable to both service-based businesses as well as, you know, uh, selling products type of businesses? Both and online, offline. I mean, I, my first business was retail. My second business was distribution. My business coaching, we, we landed up at the Richard Branson. That's a, was an online training program. I had business clubs that were across Australia and New Zealand. The last venture I did was in the veterinary industry where we put these seven steps into veterinary clinics and we turned those clinics around. So there was like a veterinary service business. I've sold products. I've sold online. 
and it works. It, it, it's business. Business is the same, no matter what it is. These, these seven steps are the foundations for every single business. It doesn't matter. So how, how do you have it applied at the moment with your, with your coaching business? Do you have something like, how, how do you have it set up now so that you can? So the way I've structured my business system is quite unique. I know there's lots of people who do similar things, but the way I have is I have online training, which is the seven steps. I also have, if you've got a brand new idea and you want to make a successful business, there's a six week program I have for that, but it's all online. There's about a hundred videos in each module, these workbooks and these training videos. But what I normally do is when I coach clients like live, like this, obviously I have different layers, depending on how serious they are, their budgets and how quickly they want to get results. But to support me, I have joint ventures with digital marketers, SEO experts, web designers who are all part of my team. And I choose the best I have. So when someone wants a website, SEO, digital marketing, the team I have are proven. They get results. They get results from my clients. That's why my clients really enjoy what I do. You can, you know, I've got lots of social proof. I don't make this up. You can see this is my structure. And beneath me, I have coaches who support me, who are trained on my system. So this is true to my philosophy of my time, my leverage, my platform. I love it. I love it. People can buy an online course that you've put all the effort in and it's there, right? So you can go on holidays. Somebody else will be able to use that. Correct. Some... Yeah. And so, yeah, in the way I work, I mean, I have probably one of the best support mechanisms out there for my students. It's highly leveraged the way I do it. And yeah, so the, the, the engine is the training, but the real life support backs up the training. So some people just prefer to work on their own for the courses. A lot of the business I work through want live coaching like this, but I support it with all my material. I give them modules, workbooks, backup that they work on. And this is how we systematically work through the businesses. Like we don't, when I work with businesses, we start off in the beginning. I know this sounds obvious, but most people want to start off with a website. They want to say, I, when, as soon as I build my website, I'll, I'll come back to the business coach. Take your five grand and throw it out the window. I can save you all the pain. It's going to be a balls up. I'm telling you right now. Or they're paying digital marketing agencies $2,000 a month. But what is your resonating message? Who are you actually talking? Who are your, who's your real customer, not your ideal customer? And they can't answer that. I'll say, well, no wonder your business sucks. You have to have these in the right sequence or it's just ain't going to work. Mm. Yep. It's totally right. Now in closing, I like to generally ask, you know, what would be a top three things that you'd like the listeners walk away with after listening today, today's episode. Top three things. Well, I think the biggest, again, the, the biggest lessons I can say, you've probably heard me say this over and over, but I recap because I think it's so important that the, the number one thing would be understanding how business uh, money flows in business. How does money really work? That's, that's key. If you, if you get that right, you're going to be okay. And that leads down to uh, stop trading time for money. Work out how you can leverage yourself. How can you put an engine? How can you join venture? How can you create passive income streams? That's key. Like, 
you have to do this. And the third thing I would say is have a close look at your personal brand because what you think or how you think the world see you, sees you is very, very different to how the world actually sees you. And as I said, people buy from your image, not from you. And that's a hard pull for a lot of pull for a lot of people to swallow. I, I went through that process of getting a reality check of how marvelous I thought it was. <laughs> and then, you know, looking in the what I call it, there's a module I actually do with people, it's called facing the mirror. And that can be quite confrontate confrontational for many people. And what I've found over the years is the people who resist it the most and fight it the most and say there's nothing wrong and blah, blah, and I have no, I've got it all worked out. The people who think they got it worked out are the ones who need the help the most. That's the self-sabotaging trait. <laughs> I know I talk from personal experience on this. That's it. Luke. You've provided our listeners today with so many valuable advice. I want to say thank you for being on the show today. That's, you know, it's a, it's a wealth of wisdom, of, of, of your wisdom, of your experiences, providing actionable steps. I really like when, when, when there's a structure. I myself, I'm very structured. So I like that you've got points and you know, steps. And so for those of you guys listening, there's been a lot that's been said today. So we'll, we'll I'll, I'll get to together with Luke and we'll, we'll make sure that we'll put some, some overview, some summary into the show notes. But obviously, you know, that, that's, that's only the surface when, when there's, there's so much more that goes into, into it, into every single point. And so what I would recommend now for those of you that are seriously considering, you know, to, to, to make an important shift and, and and go in the right direction, you know, improve your, how you operate your business. I highly recommend to jump into, uh, jump onto Luke's website and sign up for one of, one of his courses. For example, the seven step course, where you'll be able to go and find out and learn in much more depth about all that's being said today, including, you know, getting actionable, like I said, workshops and, and support mechanism to help you, uh, make that shift and, and succeed and finally you know, and ultimately live the life that, that you truly deserve. And I guess in, in a nutshell, that's to me, that's a, that's a definition of, of, of true success. And so I hope that that's inspired you guys to, to listen to today's show. Luke, would you like to share any last words with the listeners before we wrap up? One thing that may help your listeners is you, the summary, I've actually got a, a full downloadable PDF of every step with all the bullet points and action points that you guys can download for free. And there's a full 90 minute masterclass going into what I said today with a lot more concise examples of my own journey and case studies that you can see this applies to many other businesses and you can get that for free. Um, on my website, it's just ideasintobusiness.com forward slash free training. If you go there and you obviously put your name and email and then you'll, you'll get instant access to the masterclass and a full downloadable PDF with all these points I've talked to the full seven points that you can print out and, and start using in your business today. 
Wow, that's a that's a very amazing offer. Thank you so much, Luke. That's actually more than I thought. That that's more than what I what I what I expected. So it's very very impressed uh, by this, and we'll be sure to put a links in the show notes for you guys listening. So thank you everybody for listening to today's episode on the Success in Spot podcast. Luke, thank you again. Um, I appreciate your time and for being on the, on the show. It's obviously we're recording it in the in the evening. It's uh, you know also ten o'clock now. But so thank you for doing that. Back to you guys listening. If you've enjoyed this interview then please share it with your mates that you think would also benefit from listening to this to this show and this episode today. For your show notes, links, and extra tips to help you accomplish more in life and realize your potential, please go to successinspiredpodcast.com. And if you'd like to leave a review on uh, on the show, please visit successinspired.com for, uh, forward slash review. That's successinspiredpodcast.com forward slash review. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show, we are on Patreon now. We've put together a Patreon where you can become fans and get some cool merchandise, cool motivational mugs. So you just go simply to successinspiredpodcast.com forward slash Patreon. That's successinspiredpodcast.com forward slash Patreon. Thank you and have a great rest of your day, everybody. Thanks, Vic, and all the best to your, your listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you.